Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. Now I want you to open God's holy word to Jeremiah chapter 29. If you were here last week, I spoke to you from the book of Hosea, the 10th chapter, the 12th verse, where the prophet said, for it is now time to seek the Lord. He said that to his people. I tried to say the same thing to you, my people, our church, our guests. It's this time to seek the Lord. Everything else has failed, and it's failing miserably, and it's rolling like a, a snowball getting larger and larger. So last week's message, for it is time to seek the Lord. Today's message from the book of Jeremiah is how do you find God? If, you're, if you say, I'm going to seek the Lord, well, how are you going to seek the Lord? How can you find him? If you've lived this long and you have not found the Lord, what are you going to change so that you will find him if you're really looking for him? Like I've said so many times before, a lot of people look for God like a thief looks for a policeman. <laughs> they really don't want to find the Lord because they have the rumor out that if they ever find the Lord and follow him, they're going to have to change some things in their life, and they're just not ready to do that yet. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. I want you to think while I'm preaching today all the lives that you've seen on television this week that are falling apart. From every walk of life, every color of skin, every educational background, all kinds of professions, and people's lives are falling apart. Now it's become entertainment. Now it's become the programs to watch. Look at what's happened to all of them. But the sad thing is that it could be happening real close to where you are, and you not even be aware of it. And so God's ways are higher than man's ways. And God loves for his children to know his heart. So today's message, how does one find God in the 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah? <clears throat> I'm going to start reading with the 8th verse again today. There are many scriptures. So I'm going to let you remain seated, hoping that you'll get to where you've got, a, that you can see the word, uh, either in something you're holding or up on the screen. But Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 8. This is written somewhere around 590 B.C. Israel, God's chosen blessed nation, is in bondage, in exile. They're in a lot of trouble. And God sends as he ha always did, I want to tell you, I now can say that with great authority because I've read it in recent days. In every situation, the only way God's people ever got back was to come to him and, or for a nation to ever get back or for Israel to come home. So listen carefully. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Listen carefully. Let not your prophets, <clears throat> that's your preachers and your Bible teachers, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you 
deceive you. I'm going to stop here a minute. I'm not going to preach to you. But I don't want to just run through this like you said, okay, I read that. I'm going to read it real fast. I want to read that one more time. Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which you may cause to be dreamed. In other words, quit thinking about the way you think it ought to be. For they prophesy, these false prophets, falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, talking to Israel, I'm going to visit you. I'm going to perform my good word toward you in the causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. They're thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, listen, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Can you understand that? Do you understand what God is saying to every one of us? You want to find God, you can find him. But you know, like the old song, you're looking for love in all the wrong places, you're looking for God in all the wrong places. And if you will listen today carefully and let me refer you to some scripture to go home and look at too, it could be the first day of the rest of your life that's going to be a brand new life, even for the believers. Jeremiah has been credited by Bible scholars and uh, historians with the survival of his people after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. That's 2,600 years ago. Jeremiah was like all God-called prophets in the minority. The book of Jeremiah is the longest book of all of the uh, prophecies. It's much longer. It's 52 chapters. And in Jeremiah's day, he was undisputably the greatest prophet of his generation. More people. He's like a Billy Graham was in the past few decades. His call and his purpose was to get unbelievers to God and get rebelling believers Back to God. He's the only prophet that reveals his personal life as you read his book. He talks about himself, not in the wrong way, but in a very humble way. He does not point his finger at everybody else. He simply stops and says, there's some things in my life that need to be changed. Jeremiah was tenderhearted. His life was an open book. And he proclaimed God's message. He was called by God to proclaim truth, and that he did. His passion was to encourage the older and to motivate the younger. He desired God's best for everybody that ever, he ever met. He wanted God's best for them. But Israel's exile had been allowed by God. America's. Exile will be allowed by God if that's what we want to choose. That's our choice, but that's up to us. 
They, Israel, they rebelled against God. They rebelled against the things of God. And God finally said, as he always did throughout all the history of the Old Testament, if this is what my people want, if my people want to be like the world in which they live, where I have told them they will be in the minority, but they want to be popular, they want to get elected, they want to do whatever, you can have it. But God says, you'll pay the price. Israel did, and so will I, so will you, and so will the things that we love. If you read about all the false prophets in the Bible, you can pick them out, even now. They all predicted prosperity unconditionally. No need to repent. Just come up with a little formula and get rich and get happy and get successful. No exceptions in the Old Testament. Every single false prophet had those credentials was to make people think that they could have the things of the world if they would just do certain little formulas. You see, Israel's sin was the same as our sin. Namely, that we've chosen to try the things of the world. We have chosen to separate our nation from God. We are voting to separate our nation from God. Our leaders have, dev- have stated very clearly, we're not going to do it God's way. We're going to do it the American way. Now, I want you to look with me at the teaching today from the passage I just read to you. Jeremiah says, don't trust the false prophets. Jeremiah has said, check out the people from which you are getting your spiritual information. And the number one thing is, are they called to do what they're doing? Or have they found a profession that can make them rich if they'll just play it right and be good at it? And the people will love it. They will love it. Because when they come into their presence, they will feel so good. They will feel so happy. They will just feel like, whoo, I just, this is what I've been looking with all my life. I can live like the devil, and all I got to do is just say a little prayer, and everything is okay. Please pay attention. I'm going to read it to you again, the eighth and ninth verse. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. I want to define a false prophet for you. A false prophet is a religious, a religious leader or an influencer who has never been called by God to proclaim his word. I showed some of our men today because I expect to get maybe some email after this message today that might not be positive. But some of the most prominent ministers of this generation tell you in their writings, God never called me to do this. I just volunteered. I just found myself in a situation where somebody had to do it, and I seemed like the logical one. And so I'm doing it. And look how the people are coming. They are flocking to me. 
They love what I'm doing. They have these woozy feelings every time they come. They cannot wait to come back and get their flesh filled. Throughout the prophecies, throughout the prophecies, you will read clearly that what the true prophets spoke was what God had personally told them to say. I'm going to show you some scriptures in a few days. It's coming. All my notes are just about getting there where I can make them public. But I'm going to show you that every prophet that was God's prophet never said anything until God spoke, and it said over and over and over and over, even hundreds of times. And the Lord spoke unto me and said, and then he speaks. That's who they were. They weren't vocational religious leaders. They were God-called men that, uh, that said, I must tell you what God has told me to tell you, and I hope that God's word will not return void. But when I speak to you, if you do not hear what you are rejecting, or if you reject what I say, or if you walk out on what I'm saying, I'm just telling you what God told me to tell you. Take it or leave it. In the text uh, we're looking at today, God's got an encouraging word. You know what he says? He says, if anybody gets convicted and seeks me, they'll find me. Amen. Not some of you will. There's a 30, there, you know, it's like the lottery. You got a 40%, 50% chance of, of uh, finding me if you'll follow me. Of course, in lottery, you don't have hardly any chance. But, but God says, um, whosoever will and come. The Bible says anybody that's serious enough and real enough and honest enough to want to seek me, they'll find me. I'm not that hard to find. I'm not gone. I was gone three days, but that, you know, that was just a brief time. And you didn't happen to live that, during that three days. When I came out of that grave, I'm alive. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are back together again. And we're planning the future. You can get in on it or you can walk away from it. I guess a brief summary of this message is Jeremiah was saying to the people of Israel, God wants you back if you want to come back. You say, well, that seemed like they would. No, no, they wouldn't. No, why? Because you see, there's pleasure in sin for a season. And as long as you're in that season, you're still there. There's not one thing that you've seen on television recently that shocked the world that this book did not warn you it would happen if you did it. No exceptions. No exceptions. It has nothing to do with race. It has to do with rebellion against God. Well, these people become kind of discouraged. Maybe you're discouraged today. I hope I haven't discouraged you yet because I already told you. God will take us back if we meet his condition as a nation. God will take our families back. God will take my life back, your life back, our churches back if we meet his conditions. But their rebellion, it caused them great suffering, and it always happens that way. So I want to ask you a question. Why should people seek God? The Lord said, seek them. Why should they? I, uh, I've been accused of being naive. Um, so I, I'm going to have to get you to think with me this morning. I've been accused of being naive, but I do have some simple questions. Question number one is, do not most people that you know want to know what's behind everything? I mean, do they want to know? Do they really want to know? What's the problem? 
What's the solution? Why is this? Do they want to know or do they not care? Like creation. They want to know. Addictions. Do they want to know? Anger. True love versus immorality. Kindness. Why are people kind? Why, why, are they, why jealousy? Why bitterness? Why some stingy and some give generously? What's behind all of that kind of stuff? Some have joy and contentment and others are just absolutely miserable. What's behind all of this? Or do you want to know? Do you really want to know what's happening in our world? Do you really want to know, as you see the prophecies of Scripture, as those of you that came to the Revelation Conference saw, when, when that is all out there, does anybody else want to know? It's a serious question. I got another question kind of similar to that one. Did they want to know the truth? Or they just want you to say something, or they want to know the truth. Because you see, John 8, 32 says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The question is, do people want to know the truth, or do they want to know what they want to hear? Tough question, I think. But I think it's very, very relevant. I want to ask you a question. Do you want to know right from wrong? you care to know right from wrong? Is there any right, and is there any wrong? Or do you say, well, that doesn't really bother me. You know, I just turn the music up louder, go to more parties, drink more, smoke more, and I get over it. I may have to get rid of this girlfriend, get me another girlfriend, get rid of this guy and get me a better guy, but I'll get through it. I'll get through it. You know, I'm hanging on. You know, when you walk out of your front door at 530 on Sunday morning fixing to preach to thousands of people, and you see a 22-year-old girl laying dead in, your, in the street right in front of your house that was at a party all night long in your community where many of my neighbors are sitting here right here know that I'm telling the truth, left a party with her fiancé, fixing to get married, but they got to partying, and you can put whatever you want to with that, and she got mad and got angry and walked out of the house and walked down the street in front of my house and was killed at 5.30 in the morning. Now go out there now. There's flowers, there's crosses in the street. There's marked out where the body lay, but she's absent from this planet. Well, I don't understand why that thing can happen. Oh, I can put a whole lot of things together before that 5.30 event. And I can put a whole lot of things together before the wheels come out from under my life. The soul that sinneth it shall die. The way of the transgressor is hard. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. What is the problem? Why can't we find a group of people that will get it and share it and break out of the walls of, of religion and get out there and be real and say God loves sinners and all have sinned? That means God loves us all. And it breaks his heart when he sees those tragedies like happened in front of my house. I don't know what's happening on your street. I don't know what's happening in your world. I don't know what's happening in my world. I won't even tell you the other story because it's too close to this church. But there's been a story on television all this week that had to do with people and this church, and it's ended in tragedy. I'll leave it at that. If you want to talk privately, we'll do that another time. The question is, do you want to know right from wrong? The final question is, 
Do you need God in your life? Obviously, you don't, many don't think so. Many are watching me right now or listening to me. And there are many of you from the penitentiaries that are incarcerated because you've rebelled against God and God's word. But you listen and thank God for your cards and your encouragement. But I want to ask you a question. Do you need God in your life? Do you? If you're raising kids, do you need God in your life to raise those kids? Or are you doing pretty good without God? If you're growing up. If you're a young person, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15 years old, do you need to be surrounded by some people that really care about you, that God wants to put around you? Maybe you're sick today. Do you know that God's a great physician? Do you know he created you? I talked to one of my favorite preachers. I'll just tell you who it is, John Bassanio. When John was out here in our church just a few weeks ago, he had a tumor on the size of a grapefruit right, right here on his neck. I called him and, sh and talked with him yesterday. I shared with him and our beloved Freddie Gage his, his absent from the body now and present with the Lord. John will be a part of that service. I said, John, how you doing with your health? He's been off for a few weeks. He said, John, you wouldn't believe it. He said, it's the size of a grape. Not a grapefruit, a grape. And the doctors cannot believe it. Amen. Amen. How'd he get treated? He went before the Lord, and I let him tell you the story. He said, John, I want to have lunch with you in a couple of weeks and tell you what God has done. Maybe you failed. You need God. When death visits your family, do you need God? When you're discouraged, when you're depressed, do you need God? When you're confused, do you need God? When you're making difficult decisions, do you need God? Are you unemployed? Do you need God to help you find a job? Or are you going to try to just wear yourself out and knocking on doors? God says, I know my plans for you. Every step of yours is ordained by me. Why don't you talk to me? Why don't you ask me? Why don't you seek me? If you don't have a job, how much Bible have you read in the last six weeks, six months, or two years? See, that's the hard stuff, folks. But that's the only stuff that will set you free. Because God's ways are different. Are you in a financial disaster? God says, I'll supply all of, my, all of your needs. That's what he says to his kids. I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. But you've got to seek the Son. You've got to seek the Father. Well, how can a seeking man find God? How do you find God? I'm going to give you five things real quick. Number one, God says, I've made myself so evident in creation that you're without an excuse. Romans 1 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his external power and Godhead, so that they are without an excuse. God says, I made myself so evident in creation that an atheist is a fool. Amen. Another place the Bible says, a fool says in his heart that there is no God. A fool has to say that all the things that God has created were by accident. My soul. What kind of intelligence is that? In the beginning, God created. The psalmist David had great teachers around him, greatly respected in spite of all of his sin. And here's what he said in the eighth psalm, the third verse. When I consider your heavens, talking to the Lord, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you, God, have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels. 
You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, the beast of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the pass of the seas. Listen to this. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. You don't have any answer for how this world created. You don't know where all those mosquitoes come from you've been swatting this week. <laughs> you have some reason that God let them only live seven days. I know that you, you know, I can understand that part of it, right? Let me give you a second thing. Got to be careful on this one. I'm going to get this one behind me. Watching and listening to real born-again Christians can help you find God. I said real born-again Christians. I said real born-again spirit-filled Christians that are walking with God. Not the baptized backsliders. Not those that you saw and heard about that wonderful change in their life was wrought when Jesus came into their heart, but now they don't drink as much, but they drink a little. They don't gamble as much, but they gamble a little. They don't run around as much, but they run around a little. They don't curse as much, but they... Don't near, I mean, you know, but they still do it, but not like they used to. No, you're not getting anything from them, are you? You know why? Because that's not what God's like. God has said, I won't withhold any good thing from you. But when the world goes back and says, you know, I used to make a little money doing a little of this on the side. And now that I'm a born-again Christian and I'm tithing on the gross, I can make God a little bit money. So I'm going to go back and get on the side. No, no. But thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God, every one of us, God puts in our path somebody or some peoples that walk with God. And they used to walk right where you're walking. And you see the change that took place in their life. That old things passed away and all things became new. They completely changed. They did not just move a little closer to being what God wants them to be. If you have seen a person and you know a person and you can say, what a change took place. When our beloved Freddie Gage, his, his body is put in the grave and the service is planned to be right here in this auditorium. People will come from everywhere. This man spoke to hundreds of thousands of people. But you know the people most impressed, sister sitting right over there. But the people most impressed is not his sister, although she knew the old Freddie too. But the people lived on the, east, the, on the east side of Houston, Texas, down on the waterfront, that saw that he was one of the meanest little guys that ever came to Houston. And the toughest guy that ever came to Houston was Todd Herring. And Todd Herring came to know Jesus when little Freddie was preaching at Sagemont Church. Before the invitation ever started, that man got out in the aisle and walked down the front and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. You know why? Because Freddie was a real guy. Oh, he wasn't a perfect guy. Lord, help us know he wasn't perfect. Neither am I, neither you. But a change took place in his life. And people cannot get over that when they see people. They're real. They're real. They're not, they're not just like a chameleon that gets with whatever group is around them. They are the real thing. Number three, reading the Bible. I got to hurry. If you're reading chapter 8 of Acts, I don't have time to read this, but let me tell you where to go. <clears throat> let, me, let me tell you the story, and I'll tell you then where to find it. This guy had been to church service. He'd been worshiping. He's on his way back, and uh, he's, he's from Ethiopia. He was a eunuch. 
high political official. He was returning, sitting in his chariot, and reading the book of Isaiah. He was reading the Bible. And as he was reading the Bible, he comes to that passage of Scripture where it reads like this, and this is from that passage. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So he opened it not his mouth, in his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. He's reading in Isaiah about Jesus, who's going to come and be a lamb that was slaughtered. And then Philip opened his mouth. He saw what he is reading, and it says in the passage in Acts, and he preached unto him Jesus. That's Acts chapter 8, the 8th chapter. He preached unto him Jesus. Jesus. He was reading in the Old Testament. He got, who is this guy that was bruised for our iniquity? Who is this guy? His name is Jesus. He preached Jesus. Oh, now watch, now watch. They continue on their agenda, and they get down to some water, and he learned that the Bible, and Jesus said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. He said, I just read. I just heard about Jesus. I want to get baptized. Amen. Stop the chariot. He didn't say, I don't think I'm going to be baptized. I don't want to be baptized. I think I'm going to get dunked under that water in there. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm religious. I said the little prayer. I'm not going to do one thing about it, not even get baptized. Now, if you think I'm going to change my sins, you've got another thing coming. I'm not even going to get baptized. If you get born again, you will. Amen. Sorry, but you will. And there's 127 people sitting out there right now that need believers' baptism and still have not been baptized. This year, just this year. I want you to know, folks, this message is relevant, whether you like it or not. It is relevant. Yeah. It is real what is happening and you have a right to know, and I have a right to know. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you can, you can be baptized. I believe that Jesus Christ, here's what he said, is the Son of God, and he commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You know what? <clears throat> I think a person lacks honesty if they say they know God and don't want to study the Bible. Why would you not want to read the love letter? Why would you say that? You say, well, you know, I don't believe the Bible. That's the reason you need to read it. You need to read what you don't believe. Don't you think that's kind of fair? My goodness, why would you say, I don't believe what the Houston Chronicle said yesterday. What, did you read it? Well, no, I didn't, but I just know the Chronicle. What do you know, the author of this book? Would this, would this man, would, would God lie to me? Would he lie to you? Of course he wouldn't lie to us. Then why don't you want to read it? Why don't you stay for Bible study in the next hour? And get, in the, and get back in the, in the back line at the restaurant? Are you kidding me? I know where my priorities are. Get there before the crowd. Well, I think that's all the more reason you ought to read the Bible if you say you don't believe it. How can you, how can you not believe what you hadn't heard or you hadn't read? Fourth thing, you can find God through prayer. You find God through prayer. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. They're thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you and as you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. You say, well, I don't believe in prayer. Why don't you try it? 
Why don't you try it in Jesus' name? Why don't you try it believing? Why don't you do it? What are you afraid of? Why are you afraid of the Bible? Why are you afraid to pray? That's the reason I left the hardest to the last. Are you ready for this? Jesus says it twice. In one chapter, Luke chapter 13, he says, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Third verse. Fifth verse, Luke 13, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. I was doing good. I was going to look at the moon tonight. I was going to try to find a Christian. I was going to try to start reading my Bible. I was starting to pray. But preacher, you ain't getting me past this one. I'm not repenting. If I can just get a little fire insurance and keep me out of hell, a little dab of water, I think I can go that far. But if you think I'm going to change my life, you're a naive, backslidden, old preacher. Because I'm not repenting. Except you repent, you'll perish. You say, well, what does that mean? Okay, do I have to go tell God? No, he already knows. You don't have to tell him one thing. I think a lot of people think when I start praying and confessing my sins, God's going to say, you did what? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And the way I've been blessing you and I didn't know, you know what I'm talking about? But folks, when it comes to repentance, there's another word that comes right alongside that. And it's called P-R-I-D-E, pride. The reason people don't repent is because of pride. And pride goes before the fall. The one thing that will keep more people out of heaven by a thousand times any of the other things I mentioned, they will not repent. They will not draw a line and say, when God says, thou shalt not, that's going to be the criteria for my life. It stops there. Pride is Satan's weapon that he issues to us to use it against the power of the love of God. God wants so much to love you. God wants so much to forgive you. God wants so much to change your life. God wants so much to give you a new hope. But except you repent, you'll perish. Maybe sooner, maybe later. But there's no question that pride is the one thing that's keeping most people from Jesus. You become petrified, petrified when you're given an opportunity or a challenge to give your heart to Christ. But Romans 10, 11 says, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. The book of wisdom written by Solomon, Proverbs 16 and 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 1 John 2, 16 from the epistle, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of this world. Pride, pride, pride. We want to appear to be what we're not. We want people to think we got more money than we have. We want people to think we're smarter than we are. We, we want people to think that we are more popular than we are. I got a friend here. I got a friend there. I got a friend there. I got a friend here. I got a friend there. I got one at the White House, the, 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 the city hall, the schoolhouse, the business. I got a good friend that sells cars there. I got a good friend that, that's at the bar over at such and such. I got a good friend that's out in Las Vegas, gets you a good place to stay. I got good friends everywhere. 
No, you don't have, any, you don't have good friends everywhere. None of you. But you got one if you want him. And he sticks closer than the best friend you ever had. Matter of fact, he says, unless you hate this world, you're not worthy of me. But if you understand, when I tell you, I'm going to take care of you and I'm not going to withhold any good thing from you, it's going to be a wonderful new day. You know, Jesus respected the Father. And the only way to the Father is through Jesus. And the only way to Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's got to break the pride down. Jesus isn't going to break the pride. He humbled himself, came obedient to death, even the death on the cross. But then God highly exalted him, gave him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But you're not getting past the Spirit until you humble yourself. And you can look good in your coffin. You know, you can wear the best suit you got and make sure the undertaker puts a smile on your face and look like Mr. or Miss Success. But except you repent, you're going to perish. I tell you that in love. Because whoever does repent is born again just like that. Old things pass away and you are born again, which means you are dead to the old life. It is forgiven and forgotten. And from that point on, you can sing that song, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into your heart. Well, how do you know if you find him? Forgiveness comes, peace comes, joy comes, and assurance comes. Final scripture, 1 John 5, 12. Listen to this. He that hath the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, right now, the doors are opening to another room back in the back of this building. Out, not in this room here, but out in the foyer called the Connection Center. Those doors are open on both ends. You can come from any direction, and you can come in. If you're ready today to quit playing games like your friends are playing, and maybe your family's playing, and you're ready to be born again, Jesus says, whosoever will can come and drink of the water of life freely. So that's yours to do. A lot of people have been doing it recently. Last week, we had 30 people that made commitments to the Lord, came into our church family. God really blessed. I'm praying he'll do it again today and continue to do it until he comes back again. But that's your call. That is your call. You know you better than anybody. But the reason most people that are lost are lost, if you go home, and reject the Lord today, and you go home, first thing you do, go to the biggest mirror in your house, stand right in front of it, and just fuss at the person you're looking at because that's the only thing that's keeping you today from having a brand new life. Sins forgiven, name written in the Lamb's book of life, never to be removed. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and the love of God is here because the Holy Spirit is here. God has paid it. The bill's paid. You don't have to get a credit card. You don't have to have good credit reference. You just have to have honesty. And that honesty is to say, I've sinned just like everybody else. I need a Savior like everybody else. I'm not righteous like everybody else, but I want to be saved. You've got to be born again. So would you just pray with me right now if that is your desire? 
this prayer. Now, before I ask you to pray, you must be willing to confess this before men. That's what the Connection Center is for. You can go back there and do that. But you can pray right here. Just pray it with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. Dear God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. I've been so proud, and I have nothing to be proud of. But I trust in you today, God. I want to be covered with your blood. I want to be saved by your grace. I want to be forgiven in an eternal way. For all of my sins, dear God, would you save me today? I promise you, I'll obey you. I will tell someone, yes, God, I'll be baptized. Yes, I will be a part of your family and serve you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.